It's, it's got a double meaning in this sense because first I was referring to, or Sa means there, so Purva, Ja means born or, or, or progeny. And um, so Purva can mean the first sons or the ones who've done it before. So it's kind of very interesting the way the way the century has got double meaning, so that's brought out also in the translation. In accordance, translation, in accordance with their father's order to beget children, the second group of sons also went to Naraya Asaras, the same place where their brothers had previously attained perfection by following the instructions of Narada. Undertaking great vows of austerity, the Savalashvas remained at that holy place, responsibly, in accordance with their father's order. Responsibly, please. In accordance with their father's order. In accordance with their father's order. To beget children. To beget children. The second group of sons. The second group of sons. Also went to Narayana Saras. Also went to The same place where their brothers had pre previously attained perfection. The same place where their brothers had previously attained perfection. By following the instructions of Narada. By following the instructions of Narada. Undertaking great vows of austerity. The Savalashvas remained in that holy place. The Savalashvas remained in that holy place. Amazing power, please, isn't it? Purport. Prajapati Daksha sent his second group of sons to the same place where his previous sons had attained perfection. He did not hesitate to send his second group of sons to the same place, although they too might become victims. Narada's instructions. So why didn't he hesitate to do it? Because he, he, you know, like the first group of sons went there and they, they got corrupted, and they got contaminated by Narada, and they, they went to the path of the Why didn't he, why didn't he hesitate? No, no thoughts on that? Huh? Why didn't he hesitate? Daksha? Maybe he thought it's so important it's important, but, but there's, there's, there's a deeper meaning, uh, especially in, in Vedic culture. You see, the Vedic culture is very much bound by duty. People do things because of their duty, even though they don't want to. So he, he was obviously feeling some, some reluctance that we've seen in the past, uh, in the previous verses, how he was, he was quite upset about it. But because it was his duty to do whatever he could to see if his sons, you know, um, were culturally enriched, as you see, Prabhupada describes later on the protocol. He did not hesitate to do that because it was his duty. And so we see, it's just like Prabhupada describes that, you know, um, someone who's, who's on, on, on a spiritual path, or even not even on a spiritual path, even in the middle of winter, they won't refrain from having a, 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 morning, a cold morning bath because it's their duty to do that. Or in the summer, you know, the, 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 the woman of the lady in the house won't refrain from cooking because it's their duty. Or it's just like looking after children. You know, sometimes, you know, anyone who's got children can know that sometimes it's quite difficult or it's quite troublesome to care for children. But because it's our duty, we do it. Or in relationships, sometimes, you know, uh, husband-wife relationship can be quite troublesome. But we don't give it up because it's our, it's our duty to, to pursue, to persist, and to work cooperatively to, you know, to spiritual advancement. So we see that Vedic culture, duty is a very, very important thing. And, and it's actually, we see, especially with, with one who's, who's cultivated for medical consciousness, 
you'll see that Juki is a very important part of medical consciousness. Because why? Because it's actually uh, a symptom of motor fitness. One acts out of Juki. Not whether they want to or not, or whether they like it or not. But you see, like in this material world, especially people who are interested in sense gratification, what is their prime motive whenever they do anything? What's the prime motive? Because it feels good, it tastes good, it smells good. It's all based on the senses. And, and we see that. There's a nice verse in the second chapter of Gita. Krishna explains to Arjuna, he says, Mantas Vasa Tantaya Sitosha Sukhudabhata Agamadmiya Nistamsitikshvasparamha He said, the non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress are just like the appearance and disappearance of some of the diseases. It arises from sensory perception. And, and this is the whole motive in this material world, is everyone is motivated by their senses. Whatever feels good to them or smells good to them or they think they're going to get a good you know, experience from it, they do it. But Krishna is saying, no, this is comes to Tikshasnagarana. You, you tolerate these things. You know, it may not be it may not be nice to you, or it may not be pleasing for you, but you tolerate these things because why? Because it is your duty, your chakra you have to fight. Arjuna was trying to resist the idea of fighting because it wasn't pleasing to him to kill his relatives, especially his his grandfather who, who was you know dearer to him than his own life, and his martial guru. He was being instructed by Krishna, he was put in a situation where he had to kill these persons, and that wasn't pleasing to him. But then, then uh, Arjuna, uh, sorry, Krishna pointed out to Arjuna that your duty as a chakra is to fight. Otherwise, you, 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 you know, not only will you uh, bring about your own ruination, but you'll bring about the ruination of generations to come because you haven't followed your duty. And we see what's happening in this world now is that people do not act out of duty. Therefore, those who are the dependents also following their path. And we see, you know, whatever acts a great man does, a common man will follow. And whatever it stands, except by exactly acts, all of the shoes. So we see, like, the leaders, because they're not acting properly, Therefore, the citizens don't act properly. I mean, it's so common, you know, I mean, anyone who follows the news, it's so common when you hear that someone who's in a big position acts badly. You know, I mean, all the time, all the time. But there's a big, I haven't read, read it all much about it, but I know there's a controversy going on right now. Um, it's in the news, every single news article you see has got something to do with there's this movie star, and he slapped another person in the face, like, you know, in public, on, on, on global television. Right? So this is going to become a thing now, that, you know, because this person's seen as being you know, a leader of society. I mean, yeah, actors, I mean, really, the leaders of society. I mean, you know, they, they, they're just portraying illusion. Uh, but but you know, now that you know, actors and sports stars are the big people, they're the ones who pay all the money. And they're the leaders of society. And so whatever they do, whatever, you know, whatever standards they set by their acts, then they're going to follow that. And we see that, you know, like, like you know, if a, a, a movie star or, or some sort of fashion icon wears a particular type of clothes, then we see that all the young men and women are dressing the same, same hairdo, same sunglasses, same, you know. I remember a few years ago, I was in, um, 
London, and I noticed that all the girls were wearing pants with rips in them, like they had Norton East torn out and things like that. And apparently it was because some famous singer had done the thing, and they were all following her. So it's it, it, like I remember when I was a kind of child, the Beatles, like, you know, it was like, you know, I grew up short back and sides, that was it, just like a military haircut, and everyone in my age group did the same thing. And when the Beatles became popular, that all went out the window. We all started to have long hair because you know, they were the most popular people in the world at the time. And so whatever they did and, and, and these other you know, um, rock and roll groups and stuff, because they were the, the famous people, then we all followed. There was no, there was no kind of like, you know, discrimination, it's just because they did it, we're going to do it. You know? And so this, this is how things happen in this world, how we find that trends come along, you know, they have these things on on the internet called uh, influencers, you know, people who are, you know, like, uh, I think on, on Instagram, there's some people who've got, you know, like many millions of followers. You know, uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't sort of do social media very much, I just find it such a drain uh, of energy, but we use social media in the deity industry to promote the deity worship. But we see that there are people on, on social media who have millions upon millions of followers. And, and that they, 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 they become what they call influencers because what they do, people follow. They'll put up a post about something and everyone comments on the post, they like the post and all sort of stuff. So they become influencers. But actually, in spiritual life, we're, we're meant to become influencers. But the way you influence, the way you mentor influence is by exemplary acts, not by degraded acts. And we see that, you know, in, in this day and age, it's very common that those people who are influenced are actually influencing people to abominable behavior or, or irreligious behavior. But then we see here Daksha, because of his, he understood his duty. He, he, I, I, I think Jimura Lilamoka was, was talking about this yesterday, how he, he actually understood Dharma, he understood what his Dharma was. But because he was a karmi, a proper, elaborates it very clearly in one of the latter purposes, uh, uh, chapter, that Daksha was a karma. His whole motive was to improve himself, you know, improve his situation, to expand his dynasty. Yeah? Therefore he had ten, you know, he was a great personality, there's no doubt about this. And we can see in, 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 in the Bhagavatam and the Vedic literatures, there's descriptions of so many persons there who were who had, a, had, had opportunities that we had before. They, you know, like Daksha. He got direct Darshan of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But what did he ask for? What did he ask for? When, when, when he saw Krishna, what was his goal? He wanted sexual prowess. He wanted to be able to, you know, because his duty was, his, his service was to be a progenitor. So he just took that, okay, this is what I need, and this is what I need for Krishna, I need the blessing so I can be a very, very effective progenitor. Which in one sense is okay, but it's not the ultimate goal of life. And this, this is where Dutch was missing the point. He, he didn't really catch the point of what was the ultimate goal of life. He was, he was uh, more interested in, in doing his material duty rather than, than actually pursuing the ultimate goal of life, which is to become Krishna conscious. And we see, there's a really nice verse, um, I think it's in the 11th canto, uh, 
they have actually put that in the you know, number of girls. They have really challenged uh, Sabah and uh, what's the one called? Yeah, that this this talks about, and we see later on that the will make the same point when, when he's when he's chastising Narada after Narada preaches the Salvashas and they, they renounce. Um, he's saying that oh they haven't fulfilled the debts. They've got three debts, you know, for the, the spiritual masters, the saint person, I think the spiritual master, saint person, and to their father. They haven't they haven't fulfilled, fulfilled those obligations. But we see. Uh, in the Bhagavatam, this, this is, uh, I think this is Karabhajanamuni, is, is speaking this verse in the 11th canto, where he says that, you know, for one who's, who's um, taking the, pra- the practice of devotional service, uh, that, you know, for one who's surrendered to the Supreme Person of God, Godhead, and they're on the path, is called who's on this path, of bhakti, they don't have any debt. They don't. They don't have these material debts, you know, because this is this is something that's often misunderstood. Is the difference between spirit, spiritual life and, and material life? Even we see, you know, uh, it's quite common. Uh, our son has a yoga studio in Brisbane, and we see, you know, like he, he's very clear. He, he's, he's not in illusion about you know spiritual life, material life, or, or you know yoga being you know whatever. But, but we see that many of the, the people, the practitioners who come and take up yoga, they feel that they're, you know, they're doing some spiritual process. But it's just gymnastics. It's just you know, how to make the body healthy. It's got nothing to do with spiritual practice at all. But if they, if they actually understand the point of yoga, what the word yoga actually means, this yukta means to connect. And who do you connect with? You connect with your inner self, you connect with your body. No, you connect with Krishna. So they understand what the purpose of yoga is. And this is what he tries to do in his yoga practice. He has kirtan nights, when he, when he does his teacher training. One of the, the big uh, things he has uh, in his teacher training is Bhagavad Gita. He trains them in, 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 in the principles of Bhagavad Gita. So actually their yoga becomes a transcendental journey rather than just learning how to have a healthy body. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we see why do we want to help the body so enjoy themselves more, sex life, etc. etc. You know, so we see that you know basically you know materialistic people they, they put a materialistic slam on everything and they feel that the goal of life is is to you know have a um, you know a happy and peaceful life or to have a prosperous life. This is what they want. Not that their their their, their focus is to understand the goal of life. Is to take shelter from personal and eventually go back home back in Godhead. So Dutch is, you know, he's had this opportunity. It's been, you know, the Supreme Personality has come before him directly and spoken to him and, and, and you know, given him blessings. And what is he what is he asked for? Then? Give me sexual power so that I can I can program. He could have asked Krishna for pure and devotional service. But that wasn't his interest. And we see there's so many examples of this. There's even one uh, story that Prabhupada tells, you know, there's this woman who was walking around, she, she picked up this bundle of sticks, and you, you see them, especially in, in, in Vrindavan side of India, they have these massive big bundles on their heads, you know, sticks and things like that. And then, you know, so, so she was walking along, and, and then this big wind came and blew some of the sticks off her head. 
and, and, and you know, because you go like usually you see when they have these big bundles on their head, they don't get them there on their on their own. There's someone who picks them up and helps them get it on their head. You know? And so anyway, so the six blew off and she was saying, Oh, I'm not gonna pick these up and she's calling out, Oh Krishna, oh Krishna, please come help me, please help me. And so she was calling out so sincerely that Krishna appeared. And when Krishna appeared, what did she ask for? Oh, now you come, please bless me with pure devotional service. What would you ask for, Mary? Huh? Would you ask for pure devotional service? Yeah. You hope so, yeah. <laughs> but she asked for Krishna to pick up the sticks. And that's what we see the materialistic persons do, is they're praying. They're praying for Krishna, you know, for, for you know, some material benediction. But we see that Mahavuya is just asking, he says, now that I'm down to know some of the Kavitamadhyaya is coming. He's saying, I don't want these things, I don't want this material benediction. I just want your path uh, forces and other devotional service, birth after birth. Because Mahavuya, he, he, he's, he's giving us this instruction to, so we can understand what is the goal of life. What is the purpose of our life? What is the purpose of human form of life? The purpose of human form of life, and, and, and uh, Palama actually points this out in the seventh chapter. This is Koma Ajit Prakya, Nalan Bhagavadam, Durva Mansamana, That from the, the tender age of childhood, you know, Koma, which means five years old, one should practice the activities of devotional service. Give up all these other things because ultimately they're ephemeral, they're temporary, they're ultimately useless. It cannot help you. At the moment of death, it does not matter how much wealth you have, it does not matter how beautiful your wife is or how handsome your husband is, it doesn't matter how wonderful your children are, at the moment of death, the only thing that can help you is Krishna consciousness. The only thing that can help you is your relationship with Krishna. This is, this is, this is really, you know, this is the, the whole focus of the Bhagavatam. You'll see there's so many wonderful stories being told here in the Bhagavatam. This story here is demonstrating how Daksha was missing the point. It was also demonstrating how Narayana fully understood the point of the before God. Therefore, you know, he's coming and he's, he's speaking to the Hayashas. You know, they accept Narayana as their spiritual master. They practice renunciation. They follow the path of consequences. And the Samalashas, you see, they follow the same path. They're following the path of the other elder brothers because they, they, they see that Narayana he preaches it like that. The other elder brothers did it, you should do it too. Narayana is always looking for this opportunity to present Krishna consciousness to people. There's so many wonderful stories of how Narayana comes and he's presenting Krishna consciousness. And even we see later on that Daksha, he was so upset when the Shamalashas um, decided to renounce, the Narayana thought, oh, this is, this is a good opportunity. Now they're upset. I'll go and present Krishna consciousness to him. But uh, Daksha didn't respond to him. <laughs> he got quite upset and actually cursed Narayana. Which he saw as it, it it a good thing. He saw this as a I don't mind. It just gives me more opportunity to preach. And so, it, you know, quite a wonderful story. And so, so yeah, so they might become victims of Narayana's instructions. According to the Vedic culture, one should be trained in spiritual understanding as a brahmachari before entering household life to get children. There's that nice verse from the beginning of the sixth chapter, Tapashan, Brahmachari, Brahmachari, Yenga, Samenada, 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 
That it talks about uh, how one should engage in tapasya, you know, practice austerities as a brahmacharya, you know, to, to control the mind, to control the senses. Very, very important. And we see here that Daksha, he's understanding that this is a really important part because of one's cultural growth. Because in, in Brahmacharya, you learn to control the senses. So first off, one practices uh, celibacy. And then also, another, which is, which is really good for, for um, one's spiritual growth, and Prabhupada makes the point repeatedly that without celibacy, one cannot advance in spiritual life. Because this, this is a, 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 a big obstacle, a big stumbling block in, in uh, spiritual life. And this is why we see in, in this modern society how uh, people struggle with spiritual life because one of the things they have to do is to give up sex life or give up illicit, illicit sex. And, you know, it, it's like th- there's a story where um, um, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur's disciples, they went and um, they were preaching one of these like a Lord Bakar or something like that. No, the Bakis is definitely what it was. And he was asking him, can you make me a Brahmana? Because he didn't want to be a Brahmana. And they said, of course, no problem. And you just have to follow some simple rules that you can do. And they said, and they asked, uh, the Bakis and gentlemen asked what were the rules, and they said, said, no meeting, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling. You know his response was? Hardly. Impossible to do this. And that's what it's like in this, in this world. You ask people to follow these very good principles, and they'll say, this is impossible, no one can do this. And why would you want to do this? Because how are you going to enjoy life without these things? That's, that's their, their understanding, is how can you enjoy life without these things? Because the whole materialistic life is based on these principles, these pillars of irreligiosity. Without these things, they can't, they, they can't find peace, they can't find happiness, at least in their minds. But actually we find, if you, if you step back and if you look at these things, you'll see that these things are actually the cause of their disturbance. The cause of their, 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 their you know, unpeaceful minds is, is because they're constantly engaged in trying to satisfy the mind and senses through these means and actually achieve no peace. This is the situation for everyone as well. They, they don't achieve peace because they don't know how, they don't know where to look. And so, you know, practicing Brahmacharya is a very, very important part of one's cultural evolution. But also, there's another important part about Brahmacharya is when this is described, uh, I forgot the name, maybe you know where it is called, it describes that, it's later on the Bhagavatam, remember, that when one is a Brahmacharya, then they, are, they serve the spiritual master. And it mentions how you know, when, when the, the spiritual master gives instructions to the brahmacharya, the brahmacharya just says, yes sir. There's no negotiation, there's no, well, um, well I don't really like this, I don't like that. For brahmacharya, it's just, yes sir. So, you know, this is really important because it helps one to control the mind. It's just like, you know, you look, for instance, when, when um, people join the army, you know, and, and when, they, uh, when, when, when they're in the army, they, they have this training, which, which sometimes, at least to us, might seem quite mindless. You know, why, why are they forcing them to do these things? You know, they have to go on these marches where they've got a heavy backpack full of rocks and stuff like that. And they march from kilometer after kilometer. Sometimes they have to jog or run or whatever, you know. And they really push them. They really push them hard. And, and, and like, you know, if, if they disobey or if they suck up, there's discipline. 
Uh, but the whole point there is, is, is that, like, you know, this is in peacetime where they really, they really push them hard, but when they, you know, and, and they have to condition them to following orders. Because if they're in the thick of battle, when, think, you know, when things get difficult, and if they can't follow orders, then how will they actually, how will, how will the soldiers be successful in war? So it's the same for us in devotional service, that, you know, when things are easy, we need to be strictly regulated in, in terms of following the rules and regulations of, of the process of suffering. Because sometimes it happens that things get difficult. You know, the mind and sense is pushed. And when the mind and sense start pushes, it becomes very difficult to control the mind, to control the sense, to focus on Krishna. But if we are habituated to this, if, if it's our daily practice, then when these things come, it's of no concern. It's just, it's just like, you know, it's like there's this, um, this analogy is given in, in one of the songs of Lodja Dasnakor, where it's like, you know, it's water off a lotus leaf. You know, when you're, uh, you go around, there's, um, if you walk around, there's a big lake there. And if you walk around the lake, you get up towards the back, and there's a smaller lake, and there's lotuses growing in that lake. And so you can see in the rain what happens. Like the lotus leaf is kind of a little bit shaped like that, round and shaped like that, so it's like a, a cup. And then when, when it rains, the water just it falls in there and it gets to the point where there's a critical mass. There's so much water, it's, it's too much for it to stand the hole, so it just goes like that. And it dumps all the water out. And you'll notice that the, the, the leaves completely dry. So, you know, if, if we can uh, be, become habituated to controlling our senses, to controlling our mind, then when these, uh, when the, when the uh, material desires come, or when, when there's uh, this stimulation for the senses, this mystery is unimportant. Which it is, it's unimportant. And that's why Brahmacharya is very, very important to help them control the mind and senses through uh, regulation, through following the instructions of the Guru. This is the Vedic system. Thus, Prajapati Daksha sent his second group of sons for cultural improvement. I thought that was a really interesting term, cultural improvement. Uh, despite the risk that because of the instructions of Narada, they might become as intelligent as their old brothers. So this is Prabhupada's making this is kind of quite an interesting point. They might become as intelligent. So it seems to me that he's indicating like what Dakshas is struggling with versus some intelligent. But following the instructions of Narayana, this is very intelligent. Um, as a dutiful father, he did not hesitate to allow his sons to receive cultural instructions concerning the perfection of life. He depended upon them to choose whether to return home back to Godhead or to rot in this material world in various species of life. Pretty strong statements. In all circumstances, the duty of the father is to give cultural education to his sons, who must later decide which way to go. Responsible fathers should not hinder their sons who are making cultural advancement in association with the Krishna conscious movement. This is not a father's duty. The duty of a father is to give his son complete freedom to make his choice after becoming spiritually advanced by following the instructions of the spiritual master. So many, um, many important points that Srila Prabhupada is making here in this purple. And there's a few uh, others I just want to touch on. Um, so one of the points that Prabhupada is making here is that he talks about this cultural improvement. Because as we understand, 
in, in, in this age, right, you know, the fact that it's an anti-satisfying is closer to some of that. In this age, everyone's more sort of less. So, you know, it's important for us to engage this cultural group because we see, like, you know, if you look at the nature of sugars, it, it, is their, their business really is just to follow, follow the guidance of the orders of others and, and, and to be um, directed, especially by the Brahmins, but also by the, 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 the Chinese writers. So in this age, this cultural improvement is very, very important. And this is why this, this, the, the International Society of the Christian Consciousness is so important. Shri Prabhupada said this movement is meant for cultural re-spiritualization of humanity at large, because it's the culture, the way people act with each other, the way they, 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 you know, they socially interact, the way they view the world. You know, this is about culture. In this one age, as I was saying before, people view the world with a view to how can I enjoy the world. But actually, the, the proper understanding is this world is Krishna's energy. You know, Krishna says in the Gita, that everything emanates from me. All spiritual material energy, you know, it all comes from me. And so a wise person, uh, as I mentioned, Buddha-Vasana, uh, Buddha, one who is intelligent, Baba, who is intelligent, so they'll worship me also. So, you know, the business, you know, the, the real business of, of the human form of life is to develop one's understanding of the reality of, 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 of my situation, who I am, which is you know, the, the beginning question of Bhagavad Gita, and what is my duty? And this is what the Bhagavad Gita is, is, is Krishna's teaching on duty, is you are a child of Krishna, and your duty is to serve Krishna. So this is for all of us, it's the same thing. So this, this idea of cultural uh, education or cultural re-spiritualization, we need to understand what is the purpose of life. And Bhattacharya wasn't, wasn't giving that to his, to his sons. He was telling the purpose of life was to procreate. But I mean, it, 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 it's, it's something Grishnath David says, you know, that this kind of enjoyment is available to the whole dogs which you stole. They all do this. So what's, what's, what's the advantage of that? But no, the human form of life, as Palaamara points out, is meant for Dharma, it's meant for understanding who you are and what is your purpose. And without understanding that, you know, as, as, as I was saying the other day, hit the, hit the, hit the death references, without understanding that, you know better than that. So this is not what human life is about. And then, so he talks about this uh, cultural uh, spiritualization, but also the, the, whole, the whole point of, um, you know, making decisions. Is, is we actually have to make our own decisions in life. It, it, you know, it's like, and it, even when we come to spiritual life, you know, to say to, to, to Christian consciousness, sometimes we see that, you know, uh, devotees will, will, will follow their authorities blindly. Of course we follow authorities, there's no doubt of that, but we should follow authority with intelligence, trying to understand why it is that we're being directed in a particular way. Shri Prabhupada said that he wanted his disciples to be independently thoughtful. Like, okay, the instructions are there in, in, in the Bhagavatam. We, we, we read these instructions, but the idea is to understand why it is that we're being instructed in this way. But it's just like, you know, if you take a medicine, right, say, say you've got a, a health regime, you need to follow, you take a medicine for a particular diet. If you understand, you know, uh, for instance, that, you know, Okay, you may have some 
some illness which is potentially could become cancerous. Right? So the doctor says, oh, you know, don't eat sugar, don't do this, and like, like this. If you just, you know, don't understand, then sometimes you might eat sugar or whatever like that. But if you understand the nature of sugar, how, especially white sugar, how it feeds cancerous cells, and, and, you know, like you have this propensity to develop cancer, then you've got to say, okay, now I understand why the doctor's saying this, I'm not going to do it. And you just make firm resolve, and you can see, okay, I'm going to do this. So the idea is, is not to become blind followers. <laughs> denounce this idea of blind following. The idea is to follow intelligently. Understand that yes, the Guru is giving instruction. If I follow this instruction, it will help me in this way. But also I need to be understanding more about these instructions, to study more deeply how this can help me, how this can benefit me. Because sometimes what you see in, in spiritual life, particularly I've seen this in this one, how like someone will um, surrender the Guru and then want to hand over all their responsibility to the Guru. Right? So I'll just do whatever the Guru says, but in, in reality it's, it's, it's not, they don't really do it. But, and then what happens is, is like, you know, the Guru will give some instruction which doesn't work out for them because they're unable to follow it properly, and they blame the Guru. But actually, the point that's being made here is, is that one has to, has to voluntarily follow these things and take responsibility for your life, because ultimately, you know, as it's, uh, to use a common phrase, is we have to fly our own plane. You'll see that in, in the story of Dhruva Maharaj. When Dhruva went back home to Godhead, you know, because his mother, he saw his mother as his guru. When Dhruva went back home to Godhead, when the when the uh, the Vaikuntha uh, uh, airplane came to take back home to Godhead, he asked the, the, the Vishnu Dudas, what about my mother? And they indicated that she was flying on another plane. And Prabhupada in the purple there, he, he, he uh, clearly points out how in spiritual life we need to take our own responsibility, we need to take responsibility for our spiritual management and not expect that someone else is going to do it for us. And it's a really important point. Really. So, you know, there's not, there's, you know, you hear about it sometimes with, with the Maya with the, um, the Bhais, particularly uh, one in West Bengal, um, Ramakrishna, with his disciple Vivekananda, there's a description there how he, he touched his head and he felt this like bolt of electricity and he passed out, and the, the Guru passed out, and when they came to him, he realized, what a little hogwash. It doesn't work like that, you know? It just doesn't work like that. You know, someone touches your head and becomes spiritually, you know, realized. It just doesn't work like that. No, you have to endeavor on the path of Bhakti, you have to purify yourself. Of course, Krishna can do it if he wants to, but it's unusual. It's, it's quite clear. You know, there is a description how when Dhruva was meditating, he touched Dhruva with his, with his um, lotus flower, and then, well, with, no, with the conch. He touched him with the conch, and then he became spiritually surcharged. That's the nature of Krishna. But in, in, in this spiritual practice, generally we have to work very diligently to achieve success. So there are really uh, you know, many, many uh, important points. And Prabhupada's making the point that it's the duty of the father to give the instructions, but it's the choice of the son to follow or not follow how to apply those instructions in their life. And then, um, and also the point that Prabhupada's making is that there at the end of the first point, purport, is about becoming spiritually advanced by following the instructions of the spiritual master. This, the instructions of the spiritual master are very powerful. 
we see on these prayers, you know, Guru Banda and Guru Rastaka, how, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, to make the, make the, the, uh, the words that Guru Bukha Padma Vakya and Vakya are the words, like Chitete, Chitete means the heart. To make the word Chitete Kodya Akya, how we need to make the instructions of spiritual master one with our heart. So when you say when the Guru gives instruction, you know, we, we follow, but we don't follow blindly, we understand how, you know, and if you don't understand, then ask. Well, Guru Mahārāj can instruct me to do this, why? You know, can, can I understand you know, how this is going to help me? You know, of course we, we have, uh, 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 this part of Krishna said, you know, if you have this, uh, this uh, submissive nature, you know, which we ask, you know, how this will help me, or, or whatever, but, but you know, it, 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 it's really important that we, Follow with intelligence, follow with understanding. And if you do anything with proper understanding, there's a really interesting uh, verse in the 10th canto. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it is. Neither do I remember the exact verse. But Krishna explains to, actually, I think it's in the, in the, the Gobadanvila, where Krishna is explaining to uh, Nanda Maharaj. He says that people who follow things without understanding, the, 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 the purpose, they will not get the benefit. But people who follow uh, un, follow the debating structures, understanding the purpose, they'll get the benefit. So it's really important to understand, okay, this is the spiritual process, but you know, and, and the, these instructions of the Shastra, these instructions of the Guru, but we need to understand what is the purpose. How this helps them to, to, to evolve. That we just like blindly follow. Uh, you can definitely get better because the process is so powerful. But if you inquire submissively from the Guru, inquire submissively from the spiritual authorities, you will understand this process more deeply and it will be more effective. Just like anything, you know, if you do, do anything with knowledge, it's going to be more effective. So it's a very important point. And then, um, so I thought that was a really interesting point there. And then, um, I, just a, there's, a few, there's a few verses I, I want to just, just reference here. And this is from the, five, the fifth, can, fifth canto, chapter 5, verses 16, 17, 18. Due to ignorance, the materialistic person does not know anything about his real self-interest. So we see here, Daksha is bewildered about self-interest. He's thinking that his self-interest is appropriate. He's thinking it's the same for his son. But he doesn't actually understand that um, the real self-interest, the auspicious path of life, is to become God-conscious. He is simply bound to material enjoyment by lusty desires, and all his plans are made for this purpose. That's exactly what's going on in this world. All the plans you see in this material world are just made for the purpose of trying to increase our enjoyment. For temporary sense gratification, such a person creates a society of envy, and due to this mentality, he plunges into the ocean of suffering. Such a foolish person does not even know about this. If you look at this world, what's going on? It's just a place of envy. People are making so many plans, but the, the ultimate result is they're suffering, and they're not even aware of it. They're not even they're suffering. They're, they're so deeply immersed in the suffering, they're not even aware of it. If someone is ignorant and addicted to the path of samsara, how can one who is actually learned, merciful, and advanced in spiritual knowledge engage in improving activity and thus further entangle him in material existence? If a blind man is walking down the wrong path, how can a gentleman allow him to continue on his way to danger? How can he approve this method? No wise or kind man can allow this. So we see this, like this first verse, in my mind, is talking about someone like Daksha. 
He's just thinking that, you know, just that, you know, all, all I need to do is just improve my standard enjoyment and I'll become happy. My sons will become happy. My dinners will be important, etc. And then the second verse, we see this is talking about Narabuni. Because he, he, he's a gentleman, he, he's a wise man, and he's seen, you know, these, if they follow this path, they're just going to be immersed in this, this ocean of worldly desires and suffering. And therefore, he's saying, look, you know, the, the only path for them to follow, and they're, they're very qualified people, so the, the only path for them to follow is the path of bhakti. So therefore, he instructs them, the same as he did with the Hayashas. And the last verse, one who cannot deliver his dependence from the path of the pity birth of death should never become a spiritual master, a father, a husband, a mother, or a worshiper of any God. So this is the duty of, of when one becomes a father, a mother, uh, you know, a guru, anything like that. When one takes any position of leadership anywhere, then their duty is to deliver that person from the path of death. And that's why you know, we're all extremely fortunate that we've come from contact with this Christian conscious movement, because that's the purpose of this Christian conscious movement, is to deliver people from the path of repeated birth of death, and deliver people back to those who are Christian. That's the purpose. There's no other purpose behind it. So, if we understand this purpose, like you see, people come to Islam, and sometimes they have different motives. And Krishna points this out in Gita, the, the, the four types of motives that people have. You know, distress, the seek of wealth, one who's inquisitive, uh, one who's searching out for knowledge the absolute. But one, you know, even though one have, may have a, a different motive, if one actually understands the purpose of Islam, or the purpose of spiritual life, then often they will achieve that more rapidly, more quickly. But if you don't understand, it can take lifetimes. So, very important for us to understand what is the purpose of Christian philosophy. It's not about you know welfare activities, it's not about you know I mean why do we distribute prasadam? It's a good example. Why do we distribute prasadam? To feed hungry people? But nothing to do with that at all. That they may be hungry, so therefore there's a good opportunity for preaching. We distribute prasadam to connect people with Krishna because Krishna prasadam is not different from Krishna. When they eat Krishna prasadam, they're coming to contact with Krishna. Why do we chant the whole day in the streets? Do we like singing? No, it's because we're giving the whole day to people. And by chanting Krishna's whole day, then the Lord is dancing all the time. So, you know, all these activities, this, this is like Prabhupada called a missionary uh, you know, organization. But the whole mission is to give people Krishna. Understand that when they come to contact with Krishna, this will, you know, can bring about the end of the auspicious life and all of them will turn back on, back to God. Uh, I'll finish there. Any, any questions at all? Yeah. Just on the last point you mentioned regarding feeding the hungry. Yeah. Uh, I remember reading recently in the uh, Seven Canto, Pralat Maharaj highlights the 30 uh, qualities of the human, uh, 30 qualities that one should acquire in human life. And one of those qualities is actually equal distribution of foods to all. Yeah, this is Nara Muni talking to you. The last four chapters talk about Manashram. Yes, that's in that section. And then there, um, I think in the end of those, those, those qualities, it is mentioned that just by doing those activities, or by developing those qualities, Krishna is pleased. Yeah. So actually, even if you would have this motive to feed the hungry, it would still please Krishna, right? Yeah. Because he said, oh, we don't do it to feed the hungry, we 
correctly. Yeah, but even like you look at those, like Nara Moody says that these are human qualities, these are basic human qualities, without these you're not a human being. It's not even talking about spiritual life though, it's just talking about human qualities. Yeah. But then the devotee, you take these same things and connect them to Krishna. Yeah? And then give people, not just give them food, but give them Krishna in the whole food. Or give them Krishna in the form of a book, or give them Krishna in the form of the whole day. Or give them Krishna in the form of your association. And that's why it's really important that we also need to become transcendentalists. We also need to manifest this, this saintly behavior. Because when people come into contact with devotees who are manifesting saintly behavior, they themselves will also become saintly. So, you know, there's, for the members of the Krishna Conscious Movement, there's, there's a, a, a Big responsibility, great responsibility to give Krishna consciousness, but also just the what you know, just like you know, if you see someone you know who's preaching a particular way, you know, they're talking about no meaning. I remember when I, when I first came in contact with devotees, that one of the people who introduced me to, to Krishna consciousness, he was talking to me about Krishna consciousness, but he himself wasn't following. So it was a bit hypocritical, and, and, and in one sense. It, I didn't sort of take to it as enthusiastically or as seriously as I might have because I was seeing discrepancies in his practice which sort of reminded me so much of my upbringing because when I, when I, when I was you know, a, a child my father was, was you know, really keen that we would become Christians and stuff like that and he would push us to church and Sunday school and this kind of stuff but then I saw a lot of discrepancies in, in, in his practice and the practice of others so it is a big responsibility on us is to develop this idea of behavior and become become shrestha. is the best of, the, of human beings. So you know, it's important for us to develop this kind of you know, mentality of become the best of human beings. Yes, when are you going to come and give class? Okay. All these nice questions. What's your question today? Even though he had desire to create progeny, he what? He, uh, you said that his duty is to create progeny, but isn't the duty to desire for progeny and then give his son the throne for the time of the first? But he didn't have the desire, right? So, how is it his duty? Yeah, initially they had the desire because their father instructed them. You know, so they just want because, see, one of the things that's being pointed out here in this verse, at least I feel it's being pointed out here in this verse, is how important duty is. You know, when, when, when the father instructs the sons out of duty, as good sons, they follow the father. The father out of duty wants to see that the sons achieve perfection in life. He had a different idea of perfection. Like his idea of perfection was to have, have a big family. But, you know, Narak Muni came and instructed, instructed and actually on this self perfection life. And that's why we see, if you go back in, in, into the, the verses earlier on, um, how uh, he, he says to them, you know, at the end of his instructions to the Hayashas, he said, actually, you're not following the instructions of your father. Yeah. But he, he's indicating that Shastra is your father, not Prajapa Yaksha. Does that answer any question? Yes, uh, thank you for your nice lecture. Um, 
question about also about the progeny. Like, I think in Pakistan, so what we said that he would have hundreds of children when he would be able to deliver them. Yeah. Uh, so how does it work? Because it's such a saying, first it says he cannot even uh, deliver his children, if he would make children, how can others think like that? And also on the other side, I think his uh, sons of Daksha uh, are actually perfected beings, then they could actually make their children also. But I guess we can look at it in different ways. Uh, I mean, you know, as with the instructions of, of um, saintly persons and the Supreme Lord, there's many layers to it. It's not just like a simple, straightforward instruction. We can understand many things from it. So one point, I was several points I can get from this. One thing is is that Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakuri is pointing out how great a responsibility it is, and, and actually how difficult it is in this age is to bring people to the point of Krishna consciousness. So that's one thing I see there. Another thing I see in that is also, in his, in his humble way, he's just saying, no, I don't want to waste time and stuff like that. You know, I just, I just want to present Krishna consciousness. You know, that, that, that was his determination, was just to give Krishna consciousness to, to others. So, yeah. What do you have any questions on that? Yeah, it's just like, you know, he's probably not wanting to discourage his, his Gihasa disciples, you know, and, and not, not saying to them, like, oh, you know, waste of time, because then they, they would want to take up renunciation, but it would be artificial renunciation because they're not ready for it. So, this is one of the duties of the Guru, is yes, the Guru preaches renunciation, the Guru preaches, you know, uh, elevated Christian consciousness, but also the Guru needs to ensure that they're pre preaching, um, what do they call it? Ah, there's a particular word, uh, a particular phrase, I can't uh, a common phrase these days, but uh, like mission appropriate or, or like, you know, uh, appropriate to the audience, you know, audience appropriate instructions. So like, you know, if someone's caught up in, in rehearsal life and they're just not ready to announce it, you have to kind of, again, it really depends on the, on, on the, the how saintly or how elevated the, the, the preacher is, but you don't want to push people to artificial renunciation because what will happen is they'll renounce, but because they haven't actually given up the desire, because they haven't given up the attachment, they'll go backwards at some point. So he's preaching to his pre-hustle disciples, and if he says to them, oh yeah, you know, pre-hustle life is a waste of time, it's a well, you know, a, a dark, ignorant well, then they'll say, oh, Guru Maharaj wants us to renounce. So they'll renounce the artificial renunciation which will actually be detrimental for them in the long, long term because then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll take the path of organization and they'll give up that ashram. You know, there's a sannyasa which is usually big people saying you know, very, very you know, wrong thing to do. So better one stays, you know, and it's just the same with the story of, um, I think it was called Brahmana, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was traveling around India and he, he, he was down in uh, Kormachetra and met that Brahmana there. And the Brahmin was like looking at the lifestyle shape and Brahma, well, you know, this I want to look like this, and I want to try to be a sannyasi, And then then Mahabhu said, no, just say what you said, Yadi Nikitada Kana Krishna Pradesh. Wherever you are, whoever you meet, you preach Krishna to them, you don't have to take up the line of the renunciate if that is not your calling, if that is not your your situation. You know, uh, we have to we have to practice Krishna consciousness according to our capacity. 
and, and then advance from there. Not that we all become sannyasis, because frankly speaking, probably none of them, most of us wouldn't be able to survive as sannyasis, we wouldn't be able to live as sannyasis because we're attached to so many different things. So, yes, sir. I hope you understood me today. I was trying to speak a little bit slower, but sometimes you get excited. Thank you. The emotional life is much more tougher than the military life. Because you imagine the training for the war, the training was setting the emotional life. The training is totally different. It's a purity of mind, purity of consciousness. And our devotion to the God, the God should also accept what he studies. But devotional life essentially just means connecting everything with Krishna. Seeing the connection, not just like connecting, but seeing how everything is actually connected to Krishna. This is this is real renunciation. And this is what Krishna is speaking about children in, in, in the Sikhana. This is real renunciation to see. Not not, not to go to the forest and live like a medicine. Real renunciation means this is, this is called yukta vayana, yukta vayana This is real renunciation is where you see this sambandha. You see how everything is actually going to Krishna. That's spiritual life. Because that means then that you have no proprietorship. That means that you're not trying to overlord, you're not trying to control. But if you see that everything belongs to Krishna. And my business is to serve him. Because you know, I use these things to. Because, you know, if you understand that everything belongs to Krishna, just like, you know, if you understand you work for a wealthy man, you understand everything belongs to a wealthy man, you use these things to serve the wealthy man. You don't use these things for your essential obligation. And it's the same situation here. If we understand that everything belongs to Krishna, and it's to be used in his service, then we're actually Krishna conscious. This is the topmost yoga, and as Krishna says in here, not you who lights on the fire. Yeah. That's not the topmost yoga. The topmost yogi is he who uses everything to serve Krishna. We use it to serve Krishna, we become liberated. We use it to serve ourselves, we become found out. Okay. Thank you all very much. Shri Prabhupada, Sama Veta Bhakti Vrindhi, Jai Nitai Go Premarati.